are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is the Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that, and like you, right now. So be encouraged. And let your light shine. shine. Do you have the long last name? Yes, a very long last name. Tua Laulele. Oh boy. Laulele. Laulele. Okay, wait. Alisa Tua Laulele. Yes. <laughs> Osborne. And now my name. Is that your name? I don't have it hyphenated. So my actual name on my IDs and everything is Alisa Don Osborne. Oh, you don't that even have the fun? Very Ohio. I know. When I went to go get my license, they asked for a second ID. Tua Laulele. Like Alisa. Lisa Dawn Osborne. With my gold hoops. <laughs> Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. Today, all the way from Kona, Hawaii. Just for us. We have Alisa to Alau Lale Osborne. Go. The beautiful Alisa. She was born and raised in Oahu, Hawaii. She is the daughter of missionary parents and church planters. She grew up in the church and she herself has been a YWAM missionary for nine years. She's been married to Jonathan Osborne for four and a half years. And that is how we got the privilege of meeting this beautiful human being. Yay. They are having their first baby, a boy, December 22nd this year is the due date. She's working on her bachelor's in leadership. And she was also scheduled to be our keynote speaker at our women's conference. So we're doing the podcast instead of the women's conference, which has been postponed. And we'll have her back again next year for it. But welcome. (laughs) Thank you. It's good to be here. We're privileged to have you here. Yes. For real. So tell us, what or who lit your light? That is a great question. I recently was sharing about this and my history and relationship with the Lord just about a month ago, actually. So actually, I would say that when I was about two and a half would be the earliest moment that I remember really encountering Jesus. And I think it was at a conference my parents were doing or something. They had a small group that they would lead every Wednesday night. And at the small group, there was no agenda in the small group. It wasn't like they were going through a specific portion of the Bible or they just came together to worship and meet with the Lord. And then whoever felt like they had a word for that week, they would share it. And so that was kind of my early part of my childhood was a lot of conferences and then the small group, as well as being a YWAM kid, a missionary kid, where my parents would lead trainings and so on. But the small group, that would be where I really would say I encountered the Lord. And I would say the people who really turned my light on and walked with me on that journey would have been my parents. At a very young age, they explained to me who Jesus was, the Holy Spirit. I would have encounters with Jesus where I I would think, I think God's speaking to me. Or I would be praying for the sick and people would get healed at different conferences or street evangelism that my parents would go on. And so for me, it was more at a very young age Jesus just being really 
faithful to steward a tenderness in my heart towards the Lord. And then my parents did a really incredible job of kind of training me up in that. They never held anything back from me. So they would call sin, sin, and there was no gray line. They would tell me, hey, there's consequences and benefits for every decision you make. And it's not just if you do this, it's wrong and you're going to be punished, but more out of this relational, this relationship with the Lord that I kind of grew in, in the sense that, okay, at a young age, they would teach me, hey, when you do that, when you steal this toy, or just give an example, or when you lie, or when you yell at your sibling, it actually grieves Jesus's heart. It's not actually how you were created, who you were created to be. And so it's outside of who you are actually, and who you were created to be. So it just kind of formed this early paradigm or worldview in me that everything revolves around this man, Jesus, and my whole life, it revolves around him and wanting to know him more and, and why he, like, what's on his heart? What are the dreams on his heart? You know, what does he desire? What does he think about in the morning? So those were the kinds of things that I would think about at a young age. And so my parents would, I would say, really turn my light on. And that was kind of them helping me throughout my whole upbringing. It was like a spiritual boot camp with my parents. Yeah. <laughs> like they never let anything <laughs> go by without making it into a lesson, you know, and I'm very thankful for that or listening to their stories and watching their life live. They never hid anything from us. Their relationship with the Lord, their struggles in ministry and relational dynamics were super open. Everything was just kind of out in the open as a family. And so we... So I just was able to really glean off of their lives. And of course, I have amazing aunties and uncles. Like I remember my parents at a young age, they had, I think, I forgot, I was probably seven or eight years old and Rita Springer came to be a main worship leader in a conference my parents were hosting with another pastor in town. And so it's kind of those people, like I remember at a young age, Rita Springer and just her prophetic worship really touched my heart at a very, very young age that I would just listen to her, like put on on the CD in the stereo. Um, we didn't have iPods back then. So I had to like go through all the CDs and put it in. And But my parents would say, I don't know if they turned my light on, but I would say they helped me. They helped me in the flame and really kind of give me as much as I could to keep burning and burn brighter and not get discouraged in the mm-hmm. process. So mm-hmm. When you were little, did you think, I want to grow up and be a missionary too? Yeah, actually. When I was about five years old, my parents, again, a conference. I'm not a huge fan of conferences, actually. I think I got burnt out because we had so many <laughs> church conferences and <laughs> ministry conferences growing up. But when I was about five or six years old, um, my parents, were hosting this conference and it was mainly around the topic of healing. So it was one of them very charismatic. And I remember was waiting for my dad. It was late, you know, those like old revival meetings that go to like two, three in the morning, everyone's praying, you know. And I was, you know, as a four to six year old somewhere in that, you're just tired and you want to go home. You don't really want to stay around. And so I went to my dad. I'm like, dad, I, let's go. When are we going? He goes, just wait. And so I go to um, one of the speakers and I'm just observing, watching. And she comes and prays for me and she gives kind of the, you know, when they, some people pray and you feel like they're pushing you a little bit in the (laughs) background. And and I was, I was quite strong-willed. I was very quiet as a child, but quite strong-willed. And I looked up at her and I said, you're not pushing me. And she stepped back. She kind of laughed and she just said, Holy 
spirit, would you come and touch her? And the next thing I remember, I woke up like two hours later and my like, I remember God spoke so clearly. He said, you're called to be a missionary and a minister. And he gave me a list of nations that I would focus on the rest of my life, even if I didn't live there. So like in the Middle East and North Africa. So that was about five years old. And I kind of been carrying those nations in my heart since. So for me, being a missionary, choosing to be a missionary at 18, like not going the conventional route and doing YWAM instead of university, which now I'm doing university. Funny how that works. People a lot of times thought it was a, oh, you're just going to do this because you want to travel. I said, actually, no, I've been stewarding certain nations like the Indian subcontinent. I've been stewarding and praying for Indian subcontinent since I was five years old, pretty (laughs) religiously, actually. Um, and been there quite often and love it. So yes, I always, since I was about five, I always knew I wanted to be in missions and be a missionary. That's amazing. So, yeah. And that's so powerful. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, what lights you up? What lights me up? I would say beyond missions, beyond ministry, I personally would just say deep relationship with God. I think I was around 16. I realized that all these things will pass away, but love remains. You know, that's what we read Corinthians. I, I kind of put it in a perspective when I started my own journey in missions and in ministry at 18. I remember the Lord challenging me to think with eternity in mind, not just ministry, not just missions. Because one day every every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, mm-hmm. you know. There won't be people who need to be healed from different things. Everyone will know that Jesus is king, you know, in the light of eternity. Like everyone will know and see, you know, him sitting on his throne after it's all said and done. But what will remain is how close I can get to him and Mm -hmm. and how I can really love people around me and invest in those relationships. Realizing like when I'm done with missions and we all see Jesus face to face in heaven, that will like be amazing. He'll say, good job. You know, hopefully that's my prayer. (laughs) You know, well done, good and faithful servant. At the end of it, I'll be in eternity with him staring at him and being with you guys you know that's crazy to me that mm-hmm. we'll all be in eternity forever like yes. eternity and so how can I invest my whole heart in being wholehearted in relationship with others but especially the Lord I was telling someone the other day I said I don't want to get uncomfortable when I see Jesus in heaven you know I want to yeah someone pray prayed a prayer a friend prayed a prayer a couple months ago and he just started praying and he just cried most one of the most tender men Jonathan I love him and he just cried he said I just want to know every wrinkle on his face like every wrinkle in the corner of his mouth when he smiles that's what I want to know my Jesus and so I think that's what lights me up to really know God like to really I want to wake up and think oh what's on your heart and then hear it clearly you know how are you stewarding that kind of relationship um well I'm not perfect for he say that like this morning Jonathan my husband he's like honey it's time to get up we gotta go why are you so happy right now it's <laughs> I'm just waking up out of bed please give me time I'm definitely not really a morning person I would say though how I try to steward it would really be just taking time with him and I know time is Time is like, I heard someone say, time is the only thing that is one of the most precious things you can give people because you can't get it back. 
it's like money and whatnot, but time is, so if I can give Jesus my time when there's all these things to do, all these things pulling at me as far as, hey, now I'm about to have a baby, so things are going to get even more (laughs) time consuming, you know? But even in the midst of school and ministry and leading and discipleship and strategizing and, hey, what are we going to do? All of our missionaries are coming back from the field because of this pandemic. How are we going to find housing and all this kind of different things swirling and how we're going to get students and how are we going to create space for missionaries to continue and I think there's so much that is possible like so much begging on my attention that even if I just steal five minutes like even if I just like lock myself in a bathroom stall and I just take a deep breath and I was like Lord I just remind myself of a scripture of him or just kind of setting my thoughts on him and making sure I, I realize if I do it consistently throughout the day it becomes habitual like I've trained my mind to stay focused on him rather than thinking okay this hour and this morning which is so good you know setting a lot of time but even if it's just two minutes I have a break of just thinking about what I love about Jesus I feel like that invites an open door in my heart that he takes even more space up my Mm -hmm. thought life so that's how I kind of steward in the little places throughout the day definitely not perfect I can be really cranky in the morning so my quiet times like everyone has their quiet times different parts of the day or or good chunks in the week mine is definitely at night because mornings are not my thing i have friends that literally will wake up at 4 30 in the morning early 20s and pray and contend that they've been doing that for years like since they're teenagers god bless you i can't I'm like, i will contend you at got night. the midnight hours yeah i got the I midnight got you covered hours. there <laughs> Yeah, I would say that's kind of how I try to steward it. And obviously you have a passion for missions. Tell us about your mission work that you've been doing over the last nine years. Yes. Well, I was in Germany for the most part from 2011 to 2015. And then I went to New Zealand on a visa run because I had 10 days to leave the EU. Thought I could extend it and I couldn't. And I prayed. This is actually a crazy story, really crazy story. And I love how God leads and guides. So I was praying in tongues one day, just out loud. Just me and my friend were like, let's just pray. And so we were just praying in tongues, praying in the spirit. And out of my mouth came this word, Toronga. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's distinct. I've never heard that before. And then about a month later, I Google it because it was over and over. I could not stop hearing it. I could see it spelt out in my mind's eye. Like in my mind, I could see it, how it was spelt out. I was like, this is strange. I kind of freaked out about it. Googled it. It was a city in New Zealand. Fast forward a month later, I had a visa that was coming to an end in Germany. And I prayed and that word Toronga came out, came up again. We prayed about it. My family prayed about it. And we all felt that that was the right place to go. And so I went and then the next day I met Jonathan. So it was pretty funny. (laughs) He was leading my leadership training that I had signed up for last minute. Yeah. So he was my school leader. So I was in New Zealand for seven months. Then Jonathan and I fell in love, got engaged and then left New Zealand. He came back to Ohio for a couple months before we got married. And then I was in Hawaii prepping for the wedding. Then after that, we moved back to Germany. So it's kind of been our life and missions has kind of been all over the map. I would say when I set off be a missionary, my focus was the Middle East and the Indian subcontinent, hands down. And it still really is. Jonathan and I, everything we kind of do, we look unto how are we in our own lives stewarding and investing in these regions of the world that we so love and feel called to if the Lord hasn't released us to move there. 
for this time being. And a lot of it has been training. So for both Jonathan and I, but specifically for me, the part of missions that I've been actively a part of has been the training and leadership development side, which is ironic because we're all so young. That's why it's called youth with a mission. <laughs> it's like <laughs> youth training youth to so do you, things. So you are doing the training. Like you're pairing Yes. So students. how it works a lot of the time <clears throat> is you have staff team or a team of people who are committed to walk with a group of young missionaries who either want to be trained in missions to go long term or it's how do I live this call of the Great Commission as a lifestyle. So if I were to go to back to work, how can I preach the gospel? I'm more evangelistic in nature. And then you have speakers who come in. So sometimes I've taught, but most of the time it's been developing and leading schools. So I was a part of a staff team and a leadership team that led a school that was focused on evangelism and also how to walk with God and do evangelism so it's not so scary. It's like your life lived. Like, oh, I'm going to go get ice cream. Oh, I noticed this about this girl. Lord, what do you have to say to her? And then share with them, not like, thus saith the Lord, but just very natural. And so that was kind of my first, I would say, five years in missions was training young people in evangelism in the context of whether you're in the Middle East or you're in North America in the suburbs. You know, how do you live your life? How are you stewarding your life in loving the lost and loving people? YWAM is so big. Missions is so broad. Right now, I would say right now, I am staffing, it's called the leadership track in Kona. And so the leadership track is all of the incoming staff to a ministry called Fire and Fragrance within Kona. For example, we just had a leadership track in July that just ended about two, three weeks ago. Half of them were going to staff schools like a DTS. We were the team that helped Disciples. train disciples. Discipleship training school. Yeah, leadership development so that it's not just, hey, come in, you finished a DTS. Great. Now you can staff one. But there is an ongoing discipleship process. So how do you steward that? And how do you see them continue to grow? And then the other half, a good chunk of them actually were long-term missionaries. So they were jumping into another school within YWAM that trains on long-term missions. So they join a team. Some are going to the Middle East. Some are going to Africa. Some are going to the Indian subcontinent and committing a minimum of two years to serve and give their lives to the unreached people groups in those areas. So the part of missions that I've been doing has mainly been training and then taking teams, outreach teams, to different nations. It's always been more than a month. So anywhere between a month and three months just to do short-term training and then also serving of local churches and of local other local missionaries and partnering so that it can be long-term relationships rather than just, hey, we're here to just do something, fill our time for two weeks, but it's mm-hmm. strategic. We're here to serve you. We're here to build what you're already building and to just fan the flame of what you're doing. And then it also gives people exposure to missions in different capacities in different ways. I mean, it could be anywhere. <laughs> missions missions at YWAM is anywhere between, hey, you're running a children's program in the bush of Africa in the dirt with kids to, hey, you have a stadium filled with hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people mm-hmm. who've never heard the gospel. So I've been in both situations mm-hmm. or it's going village to village where they don't even know Jesus. They have no grid for Jesus and you have to preach the simple gospel and you get the privilege. I would say that's my favorite part for both Jonathan and I is going to places where they have no idea who Jesus is and then you get to share and then you see the faithfulness of Jesus 
Jesus working. Like last year, we went to a nation and we were trekking the Himalayas. It was so crazy. We got so sick. But there's something liberating about being so sick and like being able to lay your life down in the midst of being sick. Being like, God, I still love you, even though I'm like so sick right now. And in the nations and eating food, I don't know where it came from. It's probably not the best for me. And it's probably why I got sick. And yet you get to stand in front of people after showing the Jesus film that's in their language. And you get to share about this man, Jesus, who created them and loves them and desires eternity with them. And then he's, God's always faithful to show up. I remember one man, he hadn't been able to work in his field because there it's not jobs. Like you work your field and that's how you eat. That's how you live. And he wasn't able to work in his field for 14 years because he had tremors. And we preached the gospel and he came forward after we prayed for him for a couple times. I don't know if he was completely healed, but I knew for the first time in 14 years, he was able to actually work the fields and he gave his life to Jesus. So then they saw that, hey, there's this Jesus, there's this God that you talk about (laughs) that isn't just, we have to do all these things for him, which in that region is very common, but he actually loves us and is personal. He cares about me eating. He cares about my fields. He cares about my body. And Mm -hmm. that's personally my favorite part about missions. I love the training aspect, but personally, I love my favorite part has always been if I could just take teams the rest of my life for a month or three months or even a couple years, Jonathan, I would be like, oh, living our best life, trekking and like the Himalayas are going to places where they never heard the gospel. Because for me, there literally is no other greater joy in missions than that. Yeah. Just like seeing people light up and then see the faithfulness of God come in in a moment and completely back what you say and with the demonstration mm-hmm. of the gospel, not just the proclamation of it. And so, which is nothing you can really do except be obedient. <laughs> And it's usually when you're sick. <laughs> it's usually he shows up most power when you're like, I'm so weak. I can't do anything. Literally, I'm on the ground praying for people because I'm so sick. And then God shows up. So that's my favorite part of what we do. So that we did that last summer. But then up until this point, it's just been training because also pandemic. So nations closed down. ton of friends had to come back to their like home nations of their passport, not home nations of their heart. <laughs> and <laughs> they had to come back because borders were closing and things Things were getting a little bit hectic. And so now you have in Kona, we have like hundreds and hundreds of missionaries who who came back from the field who just praying day and night, serving the local community in Kona, mm-hmm. but day and night praying like very IHOPs type style. Like yeah. we're just going to contend and see the best breakthrough we've ever seen. I was going to so. ask you about that. I was going to say, you know, in the meantime, what do you think God's doing right now during the pandemic? But that's so fascinating that you say, you know, they come back and what do they do? They pray, you know, it turns into... Yeah, totally. Now there people are praying. I would say after the last, and I've only been in missions and ministry in this kind of way for the last nine years. So I don't have, it's not like I have 20 plus, 30 plus years, even some 50, 60 plus years. But in experience, it just in my short last nine years, I personally don't know if I've ever seen God move in prayer meetings and worship. Like simple, we're not doing a whole setup. It's just someone with a guitar and someone wants to pray and I don't know if I've ever seen God move in rooms. In Kona, it's so hot. Oh my gosh, it's so hot during the (laughs) summer. And because of the pandemic, we can't meet inside. So we can't meet in the AC. So you're like in a hot tent with a mask on to to be like a good citizen (laughs) in Hawaii because you have to. 
<laughs> mask on. And these guys are sweating and praying and contending. A lot of these mothers are pregnant and they're just praying for these nations. And a lot of the nations we've been praying for that they've come from, the government has actually asked, hey, when we open our borders, will you please come? We need help. We need help. And YWAM or you missionaries are the ones that we know that we can count on to actually help us come back on our feet. So it's actually really cool to see the already answers to prayer. They're just praying. And then even in the community in Kona, it's not just, oh, we're praying so that we can preach the gospel when we get to that destination, but they're stewarding a lifestyle of preaching the gospel even in Kona to the point that we're seeing a lot of local kids. Like right now, so there's this youth group that now started meeting and has grown like crazy and they started meeting on campus because it's the only place that's big enough for them to meet that's still open and outside and the way God's moving on people are getting baptized every week local teenagers and preteens getting baptized by the dozens every like at least every other week and being filled with the Holy Spirit and preaching the gospel as someone from Hawaii I've never seen that among local kids and so it's really been special for me to see God's faithfulness so something is happening yeah and God is moving tremendously it's humbling it's very humbling it's like oh so it's it's obvious that your light has been shining bright ever since you were a little kid and you've been dedicating your life and serving god in the ministry but in this season how are you letting your light shine that may be different than what it's been like in the past because of restrictions and you know you have to do something different what what are you doing to let your light shine in a new way because i mean you've been shining your whole life she's very Mm -hmm. shiny we have our sunglasses on in here. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but how has it been different in this season? It's funny because at the beginning of this year, I felt the Lord say to focus mainly on discipleship and investing in young women, which if anyone who's known me for a lengthy period of time knows, I'm not really pastoral in nature. Like I love hearing people out. I love that everyone feels heard. But I think for me, I'm like, oh, that doesn't mean I'm going to understand you. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't mean you have to be understood. That's just kind of, I'm very, I'm very, I'm an eight in the Enneagram, if anyone, like I'm very driven, but I love people. So I think sometimes people put me in this box, oh, you're pastoral because you love family. So no, I have a value for people and for relationships, but I'm not pastoral because you could sit in front of me and weep and cry and tell me your life story. And I will probably cry with you, but then I'm like, okay, now what are you going to do? Like, that's kind of like, (laughs) that's kind of my, who I am. And I feel like how the Lord made me. And so I've kind of shied away from the area of really investing in young women, discipling young women. And then beginning of this year, the Lord told me to focus on that. And I was like, "Mm, okay. I was like, well, you're going to have to bring the women, you know, like I'm not, I'm not one person to be like, oh, who can I mentor? You know, like (laughs) who can I invest in? I, it has to be natural out of the overflow of relationship and connection. And, And then when everything hit, the pandemic hit and Hawaii just went on complete lockdown. I mean, most of the world did. Our base shut down for about two, three months. We had to send all of our students home. We had over a thousand students there and then a thousand students who were on their way back from outreach that got rerouted. It was just a crazy week in March. And then all of a sudden it just got quiet. It was crazy and we didn't have anything to show for our, our lives of successes and missions and which doesn't make me feel insecure at all. Successes and eyes of the Lord, but it was a little <laughs> bit of a journey of, okay, what, what do I do? And then I got pregnant and I got really sick in my first trimester. So the Lord was gracious and kind and compassionate towards me that I actually didn't have ministry that first trimester.
answer at all. Like I literally couldn't do anything besides school and pray and cry a little bit because I was so sick and then pray some more. (laughs) That was literally my first trimester. And then it came around June, July when we started the base open back up and we were allowed to start hosting things. And we have over five or 600 staff in Kona that stayed because these missionaries, it's their lives. You know, it's not just, oh, I'm going back to my other home. It's, well, my whole life is here. Our home are here. Our kids go to school here, you know, Mm. or they had to come back. And so June, July came and we started the leadership track. And there is about 60 something um, people who came back to train to either go long term once borders open up or to staff discipleship training schools. And so about 65 of them. And I led a small group. And so it just kind of made sense where, hey, I might not be leading these teams. What really makes my heart come alive? You know, leading, taking teams to and being on outreach, like being in the nations. Like I love being in the dirt with people. Like and I love being in the mountains and with people who've never heard Jesus. And, and that's kind of where my heart really comes alive. And I would say where my light has shined more <laughs> vividly. But then in July, when I realized, oh, I'm going to be, my whole life is going to be wrapped up in discipleship the next however long, you know, I don't know how long the borders, you know, will be closed and, and led a couple of small groups. That has been actually really rewarding. <laughs> I had to lead a small group alone. So it was like 10 girls that you met once a week on top of that you did because there's just so not enough staff, but so many people who were saying, hey, I'm giving my life to missions. And we're like, oh, like, oh my gosh, half of our staff left because of the pandemic. <laughs> so it's like, I'm pregnant in school, staffing, going to these lectures with these girls and with these people, 60 something people who are in leadership track and then trying my best to invest in these women. And I would say it was probably the most rewarding feeling to invest those 10 women just the past couple months. I've never seen transformation in a short six-week period like that. It's just crazy. And it has nothing, I think, I don't think it has anything to do with me more so the intense kind of season we're in as a a world, you know. When you say yes to God in the midst of intensity, he meets you in faithfulness. And so God just met all of them in faithfulness. I I literally told them the first week we sat down, I said, hey, my process, my thought process of discipleship and leadership training is not, oh, how can I like help you and disciple you and mentor you? It's what race are you running and what lane are you running in that you're running faster than me? And how can we run at your pace in what you're gifted? So someone's really gifted. She's an evangelist through and through. Super evangelistic and way more than I am. And so I was like, great. She's like two years old in the Lord or three years old in the Lord. I'm like, great. Awesome. You're way more anointed than I am in this. You're way more passionate about it. Instead of being intimidated as a leader, how can I champion you and push you? And how do you lead me? You know, how do you lead us? I think that's been really fun of like, not just, oh, how do I lead you or how do I mentor you? But how do you run? I want to see in two years, even a year, you run faster and further than I have in the last nine years I've been here. It's been really great. I've honestly loved it. I never thought I would <laughs> And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for the next small group. We actually start another leadership track. We're going to be late for it because we're visiting Ohio and my family in Oahu before we fly back to Kona. But they already, they're starting a leadership track tomorrow or something. (laughs) So I'm really late, but I'm so excited to get back and to get into the nitty gritty of discipleship because 
things come up. I mean, you guys know us humans, we messy. <laughs> we're so messy. <laughs> well, we were talking about that. I mean, in the last couple of podcasts and in mine too, we've been talking about just how God puts things in front of us and we do them. And then we're so surprised. Like I never oh. imagined that I would love that. Or I never imagined that that's something that I would do. But it's something that he kind of calls us to do and step into anyways. And then we find that we're passionate about these things. We, You know, previously, <laughs> yeah. we would have never been like, oh, I sign up for that. I would love to jump into totally. discipleship training with 10 young girls. It'd be great. <laughs> it's true. And that just God's so good to continue to open things up that we wouldn't necessarily jump into. But so I true. think that's just really cool. Definitely pushed me out of my comfort zone. Yeah. We have this, I don't know if this is a saying elsewhere, but in YWAM, we have this saying called one-on-ones so that no one basically falls through the cracks. Like you can have discipleship groups or small groups, but sometimes in deci- it starts in discipleship training schools usually. They have, a- each person has a one-on-one, someone that, a staff member that they know they can go to and process with so that they don't fall through the cracks. And it's actually more of a personal discipleship yeah. journey. Um, But that that's never been my jam. Like I only had one kind of one-on-one discussion during my DTS. It was never a value in some of the other schools I was a part of. I never really liked it. (laughs) I'm kind of more like, come live life with me, you know, like, let's go through the journey. Let's not just sit down and have coffee for two hours and talk about all of our problems and sulking it. That's not like, I'm like, oh, let's go and do things. And But I I appreciate how you lead and how you talk about discipling. That I mean, that's so good. I mean, honestly, I feel like if we were leaders that way, where you'd say, that's not necessarily my gifting, but I see that gifting in you. So I'm going to champion that in you and I'm not going to sit and say, oh, God didn't give that to me. You know what I mean? Because I feel like we do a lot of comparison, especially as women. We do a lot of comparing. And maybe guys do too. They just don't talk about it as much or sit in it as long. I don't know. But that it's not about comparison. It's about championing Mm -hmm. people. And that's the heart of God. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's funny with with this discipleship journey with small groups and and everything. I, someone said, oh man, can I lead a small group with you? Because I just love discipleship. And I'm like, oh my gosh, praise God. (laughs) Praise God. You know, and realizing, hey, I do, like, I do have strength, but I also know where my weak points are. And even with this group of young women, honestly phenomenal. Their way, I... (laughs) I don't know if I told them, but they are way ahead of me than I was at 19, 20. You know, I was like, I love the Lord, but you still have things, you know, like insecurities. But one thing that I sat down with a couple of the girls who had been on staff for a few years. So if you're on staff every year, we ask that you would do the leadership track just so you're not floating. And, you know, so everyone stays accountable to somebody. You graduated. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you don't graduate in the kingdom. You know, yeah. it's like the journey. And so I talked with a couple of girls. I said, hey, I don't have a co-leader. I really need you guys to step up in your leadership. I'm not going to give you a title or a platform. And that's actually where you grow the most because you grow in your identity and your voice beyond a title. So I'm not going to introduce you guys as, hey, these are my co-leaders so that you actually can learn how to disciple just out of your life lived and out of friendship and relationship. Mm. And man, they just blew it out of the park. They brought family to the table. It's like six weeks as the first 
first week we met, I don't know how it happened. At the end of the meeting, we all were on our faces, we were crying, like praying. God burden us for souls and repenting of things and comparison, it's crazy. I had no idea. You talk about comparison, almost every female small group thing, you know? But I didn't realize it was like such a big deal because it wasn't, I don't feel like I've struggled with compare. I mean, of course, I. In the way I struggle with comparison is I see someone and I'm like, oh man, I so look up to them. But then I challenge myself, what do they carry in the Lord or who they carry that I can grow in that's actually part of who I am? Rather that's than, good. they make me feel really insecure. That's never been like a thing for me. So then to hear some of the girls, maybe because I'm an eight. <laughs> so when some of the girls are like, I just really struggle with comparison. I'm like, I don't know what to tell. I don't know how to help you. You know. And But then other the girls, yeah, that's kind of been my, just, I don't know, like, go read your Bible. You know? So those kind of challenges have been helpful for me, but also to grow me and thankful for my parents. You know how parents, my parents always say growing up, my ceiling is your floor. You know, yeah. you hear that all the time. And I, I remember, I think I was like 14 and I was in one of those high school leadership development class for extracurricular. And I just was thinking about it and thinking about leadership and thinking like, well, Jesus gave the whole great commission to us. That's crazy. Then he was like, okay, bye. I'm going to send you the helper. You know, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. And that he's like, hey, you, I'm empowering you to do this and I trust you. And I believe you and mm-hmm. I believe in you. And, and at a young age, I kind of thought, how come I can't think about that with people I'm leading who, even if they're a year younger than me, why would I be intimidated if they go faster than me, mm-hmm. outrun me? Because that would say more about who I am rather than... So it's been really fun. I really am enjoying this this season, actually. Not the pandemic, because it's also really sad, mm-hmm. but I'm enjoying how Jesus has been faithful in the process. I'm definitely yes. learning a lot. I'm so thankful. It's not like crazy leading teams while I'm pregnant right now. I don't think I would have had the grace to do it, honestly. Some women do. I know some women who they like have babies and they trek the Himalayas. I'm like, oh my goodness, you're a wonder woman. I don't think I can do that. <laughs> I, I have a hard time trekking the mountains. That's why Bruce amazes me. Bruce and Owen. I was like, oh, I'm going trekking. I'm like, y'all are incredible. <laughs> the only reason why I would do it is for the gospel because it's not enjoyable for me at all. Exercise is not enjoyable. So, But that speaks volumes about how much you do love Jesus and the gospel and people and people that you're willing to oh sacrifice so much to share it with them. What else do you want to tell us today? This is our last question. So I was like, is there anything you want to tell us? I think the first thing that's been in my mind a lot has been hope deferred makes makes the heart sick. And I think in this year, it can be so hard to hold on to hope, Mm. but actually how necessary it is. So, so necessary so that we don't get heart sick. And so we don't get, I want to be love sick for Jesus, not heart sick. If you're love sick, you have to be filled with some kind of hope. There has to be this expectation in the place of being love sick for Jesus and in love with Jesus that actually feeds on hope even in missions, even in kind of my world as far as YWAM and missions organizations and ministries that focus on unreached people groups. Everyone's kind of, people have kind of swirled, like, will missions ever go back to the same thing? Will anyone ever want to travel anymore? Like, all these questions swirling. For me, again, I always say I'm, I'm young. I'm only 27. I've only been in YWAM nine years. But I think for me in my journey, I have to hold on to what I've heard from the Lord and to what I, we've been saying. Like, I kind of laugh sometimes. Like at the beginning of the year, it was like 2020 vision. What's your 2020 vision? Now everyone's like, get 2020 behind me. You know? <laughs> like, they're like, don't. They want 2021 vision, kind of. And I totally have felt that. I've been like, Lord, 
good. Like, what's going to happen? And and I just, I think I have to hold on to hope, not because of a good prophetic word, but because I know Jesus, because I know his nature, I know his character. And even if something, even if it, I, I would hate to say this, but even if things get crazier throughout the end of the year or into 2021, that I look throughout history and every chaotic time and every period of history, God's always followed up with a great move. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been my anchor and what I hold on to. Mm-hmm. I think I also, this is a bit more radical in how I kind of stay sober-minded, but I, I tend to really try to listen to podcasts or watch documentaries or read books on people who are in persecuted nations or people who've laid down their life for the mm-hmm. gospel so that I'm not in survival mode, but I, I become in this mode of I'm thinking consistently, how do I set my view on to the increase, to the advancement of your kingdom? There will be no end, you know, instead of how are we going to expand your kingdom? Well, the fastest growing church in the world is in the Middle East right now. It's the persecuted church. And it's the persecuted church, you know? And so for me in my heart, I just try to say so reminded so I don't get into self-pity, honestly, because it's so hard. I'm like, I remember when I was like, sick, I just moved to this new community in Kona and then the lockdown happened and then I'm pregnant and I'm sick and I'm in school and I have no friends. Like, I was like, (laughs) so, it was so easy to get into self-pity mode and and then I remember one morning the Lord's like, hey, didn't you count the cost? And I'm in Kona. I'm not even in a persecuted nation. And I realized, oh, I did count the cost that I laid down my right to feel entitled to having it all laid out before me. I think hope plays a big part of that. If I'm lovesick for Jesus, it produces a hope in me and an expectancy of not how he'll move, but that he will. And that I laid down my right for the expectation of the how for the expectation that he will. And so I think that for me has been like on my mind and been the constant like, hey guys, we say we're lovers of Jesus. We have to be filled with a hope and an expectation that he will move, but laying down the right to the know-how or the win. That's also a big one. <laughs> I've uh, an eight. I'm like, I want to know the plan and win. <laughs> you know? And so I'm like, oh, well, I laid down my right to know that. So my brother's an eight and it's always like, when are we going to do it now? <laughs> We're going to do it right now. Your brother asked me a great question last year. And he's like, so I was saying, oh yeah, I'm not moving back to Hawaii. This is before we knew we were moving to Kona. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I didn't like growing up in Hawaii. And he goes, why? And I said, yeah. The church. I was quite critical of church more so because of seeing my parents as pastors grow, go through some things. You kind of like, okay, <laughs> like I love Jesus, but these people are crazy. <laughs> like people are messy. And so I was telling him that and he asked me a question and that's how I knew he was an eight. He goes, oh, so why don't you like Hawaii? Is it, are the people too radical or not radical enough? And I was like, you are an eight. <laughs> like, I was like, you get me. I was like, I literally was like, yeah. Finally, someone gets me. Asked a question that's like, and I was like, not radical, not radical enough. I need radical. I was like, take me to the limits, and I'll build a bridge more. It's so wonderful. Well, we are so grateful that you were oh able to goodness. come all the yes, way from you, Kona and be on our podcast. And we're looking forward to your next visit with baby yeah. boy, Long and Toe. And so that's exciting. So it's yeah, been, thank you for being here. It's been fun. Thanks. You're amazing. We, we're so blessed guys. and honored we to love have coming you. back to see you guys. You guys are really family to us and inspire us and help us to continue. I feel like every time you're here, you guys are an inspiration. Every time you're here, I'm like, Wow! Oh, no. I'm inspired. <laughs> I feel the Let's opposite. I come, I'm like, ooh, I'm spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, guys.
You're great. Thank you for listening. Make sure you check in with us again next week for another amazing story of the shining people in our midst. Bye.